Everything F1, driven by fans, for the fans. Hello and welcome to the Everything F1 podcast with me, James Tiller. Alongside me from the Everything F1 team today, we do have Coops. How are you doing, Coops? Are you okay? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you very much. Very excited about tonight's podcast because alongside us as well today, we've got a very special guest, Perry McCarthy, the original Stig. How are you doing, uh, Perry? Good, James. Coops, good to see you. Thank you very much for having me on. Yeah. Thank you very much for coming along. The honour is all ours completely. Um, for any of the fans that might not know who Perry McCarthy is, I can't imagine there are many. Um, can you please explain to us in maybe three lines who is Perry McCarthy and why are we so interested in speaking to you today? Good, that's a good question. I've got to answer that. <laughs> I thought it's because you guys were bored. <laughs> Um, I had the dream of becoming a Formula One driver at 18, so I went to work on oil rigs and walked around industrial estates looking for sponsorship and gradually came through winning in Formula Ford and Formula 3 and managed to get to Formula 3000, went to America, then finally got into Formula One. Sadly, with just about the worst team the world has ever seen, uh, made a bit of a comeback on that into sports car racing, kept hanging on, kept going and then uh, wrote my autobiography. And then it was at the launch of that autobiography that Jeremy Clarkson and Andy Boomerman were there. And we had a conversation which was about to change everything. And uh, that was about bringing Top Gear back and creating this secret character who nobody was ever going to be seen. And uh, originally they wanted to call it uh, the Gimp, and I kind of wasn't too happy about that. And I said, no, we need to look back into that one, chaps. And then finally we settled on... Uh, who everybody knows now is the Stig. So that was me. We kicked it off quite a long time ago. Um, However, my passion is still motor racing, tune into Formula One all the time, on the edge of my seat when the red lights go out. And like all of us, have got an opinion of just about everything and everybody and everything that's going on. Oh, yes. Oh, I'm sure you have. That was more than three lines, wasn't it? Don't worry. That's fine. We'll delve into your career after we've spoken about the Turkish Grand Prix. I can't wait to unpack all of the things that you've just mentioned. Perry's also here to promote his audio book. And we'll, again, we'll discuss that at the end of the podcast too. Uh, but it's one to listen to. I'm sure all of our fans will enjoy it. But first, before we go into the podcast with Perry, I'd like to tell you all about Everything F1. We are available on all social media platforms. We are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and we've got a Discord server. You can also find us on our website, www.everythingf1.com. You are also listening to this podcast. So wherever you're listening to us from, hit the subscribe button. And if it does have the option to review, we'd also really appreciate a five-star review. If you give us a five-star review, we will give you a name call on the next available podcast. So give us a five-star review. Pop your name down and we'll read it out. It's as simple as that. So first, let's talk about the Turkish Grand Prix. Coops, we'll go to you. Can you give us a, a small snippet of what you thought about the Turkish Grand Prix? Uh, tires, tires, morning, tires. <laughs> ah, it's just a few words oh, for us. Oh, and, and a rain, and rain, yes. Okay, okay. I, I, 
it, it, it was eventful for different reasons as uh, not not necessarily on the track so much was it uh, this this weekend it was more kind of strategy and tires it, it was a strange one i think the, the most strange thing about it was the rain it was just it was probably the most consistent thing over the whole weekend mm. and over the whole race it just stayed there you know, you watch a white race and then as there's no rain, you're like, okay, there's the dry line, there we go. But this one, it was, no. Uh, and obviously, Sebastian Vettel found that out the, the hard way, uh, which we'll dive into. But yeah, it was. It, it's one for the tourists. I've seen some people saying it was a good race. I've seen a couple of things on Twitter where people are saying it was the most boring race of the season. I'm like, I wouldn't go that far. We had a Spanish Grand Prix, remember? Uh, <laughs> uh, so it was interesting. It had, it had its moments... It certainly did, didn't it, Perry? Had its moments and that dry line never appeared. Um, well, funny enough, I actually, for me, you know, we, we love to see wheel-to-wheel racing and that jeopardy, obviously, is what we tune in for. Uh, I actually did find quite a lot of the race interesting. Coops, I have to disagree with you about the dry line. Um, that There was one uh, that was, okay. let's say, there was one that developed a lot more than the lines on the outside or the inside of it. Because I guarantee you, with those kind of tyres, with the inters that had worn like that is that you don't really want to be trying to overtake too many people down the inside or the outside on the conditions off that line. Believe mm-hmm. me, that was, that, was a lot, that was a lot wetter or greasier. And it's all very well closing on somebody, but the majority of the time, you're overtaking somebody into a braking zone. Now, if they're bright, they're going to stay on clearly. They're going to stay on the bit that's giving the maximum amount of grip. So that means that even if you've got, even if your tires are in a little better condition, actually, it's still double jeopardy going down the inside. And that's what makes it so desperately difficult in these conditions going offline to overtake. However, nonetheless, I was quite surprised about the Ferrari performance. Yeah. Um, their, their power is obviously really good. Okay, Charles was in a low downfall spec, so clearly that means less drag. But he was doing a real good job and they weren't eating into him too much when he was, you know, out front um, mm. until uh, Valtteri came and changed. But it was it was quite interesting about this jeopardy about the tyres because of Lewis was on the phone, you know, saying, leave me out, leave me out. So everybody's thinking, is Lewis right? Yeah. I don't think there's still an answer to that, mm. to be quite frank. As a race driver, and we saw it recently with Lando leading Lewis in second place out in Russia, they wanted to stay out there because it's very, very difficult inside to give up a place. Mm. You know, you, you've you've really got to see something dramatic happen. And of course, Fortune favoured Lewis with that call and Mercedes call out in Russia. Mm-hmm. This one with Charles staying out for as long as he did. Well, then we completely saw toward the end of the term of the of these inters how badly they fell off. Yeah. So would that have happened to Lewis's tyres if he'd tried to stay out on the single set? So I I don't, you know, my gut, I'm not privy to every single piece of data, mm. clearly. But I suspect that he would have been in real trouble if he'd stayed out there. So, you know, but who knows? I mean, the guy is, the guy is brilliant. I mean, yeah. he really is mm-hmm. brilliant. He's a genius on his tyres. So the guy can perform miracles. But that was an intriguing situation for me. So seeing how well the Ferraris performed, power-wise, mm. Merck have definitely made an upgrade on power out there. There's no question. Um, but it was good to see Red Bull keep the Constructors' Championship alive as well because there's two things going on. But I, 
I've probably out-talked there, so um, come on in. No, not at all. Well, let's let's talk about Bottas then, because he had a dominant weekend. Uh, you know, inter- thankfully uh, for, for Lewis's pe- uh, engine penalty, he had a dominant weekend. He's controlled the race, uh, apart from those laps, uh, as I say, after the, after the pitting, where Charles was up, up front. What, what can you say about his performance, Harry? Yeah, I've always liked Valtteri, and I remember him when he was back in F3, and I thought he was an absolute star, and he's done lots of great stuff. I mean, he's got, <laughs> he's, he's, got the, he's got the double problem, hasn't he? Is that it's, it's fantastic com- to be compared against a, an absolute genius, but the problem is you're against an absolute <laughs> genius. So there have, yeah. been, there have been so many times when Valtteri hasn't been given the credit that I personally believe he's deserved. Because there have been a whole bunch of times where he's been within hundreds of Lewis in qualifying, you know? Yeah. So anybody who's within hundreds of a second of Lewis Hamilton is, you know, severely talented. Mm-hmm. And we see exactly the same situation with Max and anybody. And in fact, it's maybe even elongated with Max and whoever is his teammate. I mean, that's like a death sentence, isn't it? Because... <laughs> Everybody who goes against Max, you know, really isn't made to look that great, no. you know, and that includes Daniel Ricciardo, you know, it's like, you know, it's, I mean, I think Carlos fared well with him yeah. in the, uh, in the junior uh, Red Bull team yeah. uh, at one point, but then Max just went into overdrive, really took care of Daniel, um, of course, Alex, of course, Pierre, mm. And and really, I mean, you know, I mean, I'm a huge fan of Perez, really am. But he's he can't get near him, can he? No. So I beg your pardon. That's to illustrate the problem about going against an absolute genius. So I think that Valtteri isn't always given the credit he deserves. Conversely, sometimes it looks as if he's gone to sleep. Yeah. Uh, it really does. And I would say I would really. It's so difficult. This game is so incredibly technical nowadays that you're not always clear what's happening for the poor soul inside the car. Mm. But Russia, it didn't look like he was on it, did it? It looked like he was just fed up, whereas it might be easy to say this, but psychologically, this time in Turkey, he knew he could win. He could smell a win. So therefore, he's going to give it absolutely everything the guy didn't make a mistake. He drove beautifully. Mm. Yeah, and, he, and his qualifying pace was a, it was a brilliant qualifying pace as well. Um, obviously, he knew he if he was going to lose out to, to Lewis, he would be gaining his place anyway. Um, so he did everything that the team needed him to do uh, in this circumstance, and probably everything that he would have wanted for himself. You know, he he wasn't necessarily. Uh, racing for Lewis Hamilton, um, which a lot of people are saying, always, you know, just a number two driver. He wasn't, basically. He was driving for himself. Um, He probably knows it's one of his last chances to win, uh, certainly in a Mercedes, uh, the the way the cars are performing this year. He's obviously going to a backmarker team as it is next year. But again, the rule change could change that anyway. So, you know, I I think he did a great job. Yeah, but but, I mean, but when you look at... Giovanardi, you know, he he does put that alpha up there sometimes. He really does. Um, so you're kind of thinking, you know, it's what alpha are going to be getting is top-line current insight mm. into a multiple world championship winning team. And he can bring a lot of that stuff through to alpha, which will filter through throughout the year, as long as they draw the thing fairly well <laughs> over the coming months. Yeah. Um, you know, so, that, so they've got something good there. But of course... 
you know, this is where I was really looking at Ferrari. Um, that, you know, their, their engine package is definitely moving up. And clearly, of course, Alpha benefit from those engines. So I just wonder if we might see Alpha uh, support, you know, a lot of the time they've managed to get in the top 10. Maybe they can maybe they can be a little more consistent about that going forward. And do you think there'll be some uh, data sharing across the teams? So, you know, Bottas bringing some information for the for the Ferrari engine designers to uh, to help them? Well, I mean, there's only so much Valtteri is going to know. Mm. But I mean, what, but what Valtteri will understand and, and have completely died him is the feel of how the Merck engine performs in a whole bunch of environments. Yeah. He'll know exactly about the kind of um, transitions that the engine can go through, the different settings, how it'll feel in this particular situation, how it'll feel in that situation. So he'll be his own overlap on that. I mean, he's not going to be coming with two suitcases full of data from them. <laughs> they won't be too happy about that. But he's but he's got this data and this feel in his head mm. as a relevant performance. So he can really draw a comparison directly to whatever Alpha are giving him and help direct. You know, it's all very well having you know, 18 rooms full of computers. Mm. But it, uh, but often it really needs a, sh- a shortcut to that, where the driver might turn around and say, hey, hey, look, you know, let's forget, you know, mining information for the next 18 months. You know, let's direct the focus to this point. This is what I'm feeling. Now, give me the data to find out if I'm right and if we can make... So the driver can make kind of a real summary and really help the team accelerate. One of the biggest problems about this entire game is that you can think you've drawn the most beautiful racing car in the world across the winter. Yeah. But until you get on track, that's when you find out. But track time is scarce. And time really is your enemy because every engineer, every designer would want to just keep pounding round and round the tracks forever to try and finite the design mm. or how they can um, adjust it to actually get the very best from it. But time is the problem all the time it's the same for everybody yeah absolutely this is where a top driver an absolute top driver coming from a top team may be able to short circuit that a bit you know i'm not saying that kimmy wasn't top because kimmy is is kimmy yeah you know uh, i love listening to kimmy he's absolutely fantastic (laughs) (laughs) you've got got an impressionist as well (laughs) i was actually with kimmy recently i said kimmy kimmy you, you don't hear that name every day of the week do you he said, I do. <laughs> well, uh, well, we'll move on to the second place to, uh, driver and, well, and third place. The Red Bull team uh, were second and third on the podium, Coops. What can you summarise about the weekend for Red Bull? They used a unique livery and actually done something with it. <laughs> like, they didn't have the curse of the good livery, of, of the yes, unique livery. Yes, unlike the Mercedes in Germany a, few year, a couple of years ago. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it was damage limitation. Uh, well, not really damage limitation. I mean, they weren't ever going to get first. I think Max just happened knew pretty quickly during the race that he wasn't going to get past Bottas. Uh, and second and third, I mean, Perez, for once, did exactly what he was there to do. Yeah. In that beautiful few corners with uh, Hamilton, who did everything that he was allowed to do uh, and still couldn't get past him. Uh, or stay in front of him even because the speed of the Mercedes got past him on the straight but you know Perez done what he was supposed to do and you know we've missed that he needed to do he's needed to do that a couple more times this year uh, but you know he's he's at least done it this time but it was uh, yeah it was the best I think that 
the Red Bulls could do. Uh, and, and those kind of conditions, you know, having to really watch your tyres is really Perez's forte. I don't know what it is he does with the tyres or how he manages to do it, but that man is a genius. That man's a tyre whisperer. Uh, <laughs> he's legendary when it comes to the tyres, Perez. And uh, we all know, I mean, Max Verstappen, I think it may be controversial to some people, but I think he's almost in the same level as Hamilton when it comes to driving a car. Maybe not attitude-wise, maybe he kind of rubs people up the wrong way, but then Hamilton does that too, but in different ways. That, yeah, that man just knows how to drive a car. And he's only, what, 23? Yeah. Wow. Perry, what have you got to say about the Red Bull team then? You obviously already mentioned how skillful uh, you, you believe Max to be, which is, you know, I think that's plain to see for, for most Formula One fans. But what was your, what was your opinion on the, that great battle between Perez and Hamilton? That was uh, edge of your seat stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um... Yeah, it's a little bit sad in a way because that's kind of what we'd like to see an awful lot more of, yeah. you know. But that was that was a, that was super, yeah, really, really good. Uh, and fantastic skill from both drivers, really fighting. The the level of talent that they both have and the spatial awareness to, you know, these things are they're sunk down in these things now. And of course, with the head protection systems that there are, which we never used to have, mm. okay, that wasn't so great for us if we were going in for a crash, but but we had, we definitely had more visibility, yeah. you know. So these guys are, it, it's absolutely great, very very exciting. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that this was a real good race for Sergio uh, in more ways than one actually, because did he not just finish eight seconds behind Max, and Max wasn't completely backing off at the end? Uh, yeah, I think it was quite the close. End. It was yeah. very very close. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, that shows throughout an entire race that Sergio really did a super job and Red Bull obviously were doing the right things and how they were using strategy to bring him along as well. Mm. So, so that was great. Uh, yeah. I, maybe this is going to build on Sergio. The, the psychology here, just, I'm afraid going back to fighting against an absolute genius as your teammate is that you see the team worship the number one driver, yeah. that the, the number one driver saying this, the number one driver's doing that. You know, that, their faith and their hope and their entire being and brand is around the one number one driver. So suddenly you're feeling like a bit Billy Nomates, <laughs> you know? Um, so you can start thinking, oh, does it take some of that juice out of you? However, you know, a couple of pats on the back, a couple of good results, suddenly you start pumping up again. I mean, we saw Sergio win a while back, which is fantastic for him, you know? It's like to, to get that was great and suddenly his confidence was there again yeah but um but you've you've got to keep the psychology in this game is so incredibly important you know you are dealing with a human being at the end of the day and they've got to feel loved well at least i tell you i yeah it's always better unless you you know sometimes i've had it where i've been number one I've had it where I've been number two, so I know what it's like when you're not getting the attention. Mm. And then the job, of course, is to try and fight and just say, oh, hang on a second, you know, look at me, I want the same stuff. And then sometimes that can work. Mm. But so I do feel sometimes for these guys who are against maybe, you know, Max is perhaps one of the best drivers that's ever lived. He hasn't won a world championship yet, but that doesn't change the fact that he's, he might very well be one of the best drivers that's ever lived. Absolutely. That's how good that guy is. Mm. He's great. Oh, he's certainly one to watch. And now he's six points ahead in the championship. So it's, it's a great season. We're going back and forth. 
every race there's something to talk about we're just hopeful that we get this this closeness all the way to the end of the season i tell you something i've been i tell you something i've been noticing where i for me personally Mm. i disagree with a whole bunch of pundits that where we're setting the scene saying oh this is a merc track or this is a red bull track or this is this track or whatever I, you know, I don't really see it like that. Um, you know, especially when we saw in France earlier this year, that got completely turned on its head, what should have been a Merc track. Mm. And, you know, they uh, fell over and Ferrari really had the worst possible week in there as well. But I think that you can't look historically at where these teams have been strong. We've had a rate change over the, over the uh, winter. Uh-huh. Um, you know, and sometimes places are resurfaced. The, the arrows are different for this year. So that's affecting different cars in different ways. Mercedes are really still you know, saying that they've probably been penalised more from the, from the aero changes on the regulations than Red Bull have. So I, I'm not so clear about this certainty about, oh, this is a Red Bull track and that's a Mer- I think it's a lot closer than that. <laughs> I really do. It keeps us guessing for, for sure. Um, it really does. It really does. It really does. It's, it's and great. also the other things that keeps us guessing is that, you know, knowing when somebody is going to have to sacrifice places for an engine change or if they have an accident, there's a gearbox change. There's all these penalties to consider. You know, with, I think that the championship is actually quite exciting this year, which is great. Mm. And I love to see Merck run close because that's what we're all in it for. But just to finish the point, you know, for me personally, I just don't subscribe to this that this is this track, this is that track. No. And it's, uh, as you say, especially this year, it's it's really proven that not to be the case. Um, so, yeah, absolutely. And let's talk about the Ferrari team then, because uh, Charles Leclerc had, a, had an absolutely amazing weekend. Um, he was there all day. And so did Carlos. And so did Carlos, yeah. Uh, but but Charles specifically was, was in every... Every session, every yeah, he was he was at the top. He was you know fighting for first at, at, at varying points in terms of um, qualifying times. So you know, has that Ferrari engine been given the upgrades it needs? Is it is it just a, a matter of kind of tweaking aero for different tracks that, that that's, the, that's the issue now, or, or or is it or is it just completely track specific with the Ferrari car? It might be, um, because we see a, a little bit the same with McLaren, don't we? Mm. You know, it's at different points we've seen McLaren doing terribly well. And then really, they weren't kind of in play in Turkey. No. You know, they, they just weren't. So, you know, I'm not bright enough to actually know exactly why that is. It There does seem to be a general growth inside Ferrari, to be quite frank, you know, and it does seem to be power. Um, but, you know... Was it just the case that they were running low downforce? And did they get away with that because it was like tricky conditions? Mm. You know, I don't know. We don't know. But it was certainly a great performance anyway. And we really appreciate seeing the Scuderia Ferrari team at the top because let's face it, you might not be the biggest fans of the team. It's great for the sport to have them at the top, even if you're not the biggest fans of Ferrari, isn't it? You know, we always want to see the, the two red cars battling out for, for decent positions. I was doing something with Ferrari just a couple of years ago, actually. So I was at the factory quite a bit. And uh, actually, it's when Fernando was just finishing driving for them and then Sebastian was on. So we were doing something. There was a little technical idea I had and Ferrari really helping with it. And Sebastian helped and so did Fernando. So it was great to be out there quite a bit, to be around this. Um, And yeah, I mean, there's... 
there is no other team like it. You know, it's like I've been around the block for, you know, quite quite a long time. <laughs> and, you know, when you arrive at McLaren, mm. you know, you, you're just going, wow, this is absolutely fantastic. You know, their centre that they've got over in Woking is just amazing. But it's just that little thing extra about Ferrari, you know, just going, wow, this Ferrari. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Yeah, I, I agree. I agree. Um, Coops, then we'll go to you for... A McLaren rundown, as as uh, Perry did mention, they they kind of didn't really turn up well this weekend. Uh, Danny Rick having uh, a full PU change starting at the back, but he didn't qualify great anyway. He was uh, I think he was sixteenth, didn't make it through Q three, um, and Lando kind of you know seventh eighth uh, all, all weekend. What, what what can you say about the McLaren team? I think they knew that going to Turkey was going to be a bit of a weak one for them. Uh, you know, Danny Rick looked like he got on top of the McLaren. I don't think it was an issue with the handling this for the poor qualifying. I think he just timed his final lap wrong. It was right. one of those, you know, qualifying sessions where the last person to do the lap was getting the best lap because the changes were just changing that quick. So it was a shame. It was it's probably the best thing that they could it was the best thing for them for the remainder of the season. He qualified sixteenth, whacking a new a new power unit get the penalty out of the way and then hope for the next few races, you know, uh, everything, you know, stays together. Uh, that Mercedes engine's been a wee bit fragile this year. So, you know, more, we'll so, than, more so than normal, definitely. Uh, well, I, 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 we're not used to hearing Mercedes and fragility when it comes to power units and the tight of the turbo hybrid era. So, no. and even Toto Wolf has said that, you know, the reason they changed Hamilton's was because of, Unusual, I think it was unusual noises or something. He yeah, said. The, the high revs. Yeah, it was. There was a certain noise that they're just not sure about. Yeah, but they, uh, go back to McLaren. Sorry, the, the main thing was I think they had, I think from what I've heard was that there was just too many kind of medium speed long corners for the McLaren, which to me sounds more chassis aerodynamic rather than power. Mm. Uh, it just wasn't suiting the way that car is, and we've heard all through the season with Danny Ricardo's troubles. And McLaren's quite a funny car to get the to get the hang of, apparently. So, and if Danny Ricardo, who who knows his stuff, struggled, has struggled quite a bit with it, then you know there is a bit of a a bit of a drama queen that car, I think. So. Yeah, but after saying that, Coops, it's like you know Norris is taking it. But okay, Danny Rick got the win. Mm. Okay, but okay, you know no begrudging him. Lovely to see, great to see McLaren back. But really and truly, Norris is taking him to the cleaners. Yes. He really is, you know, and, you know, if they'd really decided to race in that one where Dan, where Daniel won, mm. my money would have been on um, uh, Norris beating him. Yeah. But they went, you know, saying, hang on a second, team game, we got to do a one-two here. Mm. Yeah, I've got a great, clearly, of course, got a fantastic deal of respect for Daniel, but we are seeing the emergence. We've been talking about um, Lewis and also for Max. I'm, I got a sneaking feeling we're seeing the emergence of somebody else who's, um, who's maybe not on uh, Lewis's level or Max's level just at the moment, but we're seeing somebody who actually might be soon, you know, and that's uh, that's um, uh, Lando Norris. Yeah, I mean, I think so, you know, I'd mentioned it at the start of the season or before, you know, we all talked and raved about, you know, Max was happen for honestly and obviously, sorry, and then you know, everyone was talking about George Russell. And Norris wasn't really in that conversation. But as the seasons went on this year, 
and you're like, oh, well, hold on a minute. You know, you know, Daniel Ricardo's not a pushover and Norris made it look easy. Mm. And now, as you're saying, you know, Perry, that he's coming in. You know, that the, he is now one of the, the, the people that folk are thinking, I could see him winning a few. And I think he's going to stay at McLaren for a while. I think oh, that totally. works. I think that just works yeah. for him. The whole way that Brown and Andreas Seidel have modelled the new kind of version of McLaren. And I think Danny Ricardo's also found a home for himself. You know, next year, hopefully, he can get to grips with the car better. But yeah, yeah, he's certainly put himself into the conversation, which I don't think I'd heard much before. Uh, I think a few people had said maybe, but now it's just kind of like, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's going to happen. You know, when you talk about the Merck just now, Dan, saying like they're struggling in the medium and high-speed corners, mm. well, you know, that's you probably need to get on top of that because there's quite a lot of circuits with medium and high-speed corners. <laughs> yep. uh, it's, you know, it's kind of uh, race cars really need to be good in medium and high-speed corners <laughs> as well as some of the slow ones as well. But, it's, you know, there were, there were a bunch of high-speed corners where they actually won. You know, so it's so was it tire specific that time? You know, it's like sometimes these things just don't work the right way. Yeah. I, I thought then you had quite a good comeback race. I thought that, you know, when we're talking about the different stars out there as well, you know, once again, we keep weekend after weekend, pretty much, we keep seeing Pierre Gasly pumping in super performances, mm -hmm. you know, really super performances. And that's that's really great because he didn't have the best of times, of course, with Max over at Red Bull. But maybe that confidence thing again now, maybe he's matured, maybe he's really believes he can do it. And, and it's been maybe better to grow somewhere else than keep being around where you're thinking you're second fiddle. But yeah. sorry, I've, I've digressed a bit. But talking about the emerging talent, you talked about George. I mean, George is capable of doing some truly outstanding stuff. There's one thing we're not short on in Formula One. It's fantastic driver talent. Absolutely. You know, that's, yes. that, that is, I think that's one of the things that attracts me so much is that when you're seeing most of these people, not mm. all, but most of these people out there, um, and you're thinking, wow, these guys are great, really great. I beg your pardon. Sorry, Coops. I've no, cut no, by the uh, I think the problem, the, the, the negative part of that. And anyway, we've said it a few times, you know, Formula One is looking good driver-wise for a number of years. It's when you're Oscar Piastri or, you know, Guan Hujo or a few of the others in F2. Callum Eilert. Callum he, Eilert. He didn't you know, get another a, seat, yeah. You know, there's a few really good drivers that should be in Formula One that either because a couple of drivers are there because of money or because there's just that many good drivers. You know, it's... It's a good and a bad thing. You know, I, I'd love to see Piastri in a car for next year. There only is one seat available, and we've now had the rumour that Colin Her Colton Herta might be coming over if Andretti take over that one uh, with Guan Hujou. And, you know, but, yeah, it's uh, it'll be interesting to see over the next few years how things develop, especially with these young guys with Norris and George. But, yeah, it just wasn't really a race for, for McLaren to go back on to, to McLaren. It just it didn't really work for them really this weekend. Biggest problem about F1, if you're a driver trying to come through, is that I, I'm not kidding you. It's pretty much always been the same. Mm. Money, you know. There's, there, well, you know, also spaces. Yeah. You know, it's like it's, you know, I mean, when I was out there, clearly we had more teams, but there was a lot more no hopers out there. <laughs> you know, it's like there were 
you know, 30 of us or when I was actually in it, there were 32. That's why we needed pre-qualifying, you know. Mm. But but trying to get a spot inside a Grand Prix car. And then even once you're inside Grand Prix, the musical chairs are trying to move up the order, trying to get with a better team. Mm. Who is available? Has somebody noticed you? Are you their favourite? Is there a chance? Does it come with a commercial consideration? Does the manufacturer like you? Do, honest to God, it's like this great big sieve system. Mm. And if you're not, you know, if you're not in the right place at the right time, talent to one side, if you're not in the right place at the right time, you know, you're stuffed. You know, if, if you've got a year where everybody is re-signed, mm. it pretty much doesn't matter how good you are. <laughs> there's no there's no spot to land in F1. There are always a whole bunch of candidates. And, yeah, I mean, um, Herta is... You know, it looks like a really exciting prospect. You know, uh, I, I used to know his dad, Brian, uh, his dad, Brian, you know, yeah. years when yeah. I was racing out in America. And Brian's a great guy. But his son and that team, they're doing a great job. But Brian's looking after him mm. in the team, you know. So psychologically, it'd be great to see how uh, um, he gets on if he gets an F1 test. Mm. Uh, it shouldn't be judged on just one test. But it's going to be a whole change of scenery for him if he does come over. But he's he's certainly got loads of talent. He really has. But but it's just that I'm sorry, I've digressed again. No, but it's just that <laughs> it's just that as a racing driver, you, you're fighting like mad in the junior formulas, then the upper international formulas, and you're salivating like a dog looking at a, a piece of steak with the the opportunity of getting into an F1 car. Mm. But if those seats aren't there. You lose your slot, then suddenly, if you've had a brilliant year in Formula 2 or doing something else, suddenly that's kind of forgotten a bit, Yeah, you know? And this is where these driver programs, which, you know, me and my lot were never, they didn't really exist that often, you know? So the, the Merck Academy, the Ferrari Academy, the Red Bull program, they're all very, very good, but they've got all these kind of hungry kids in a holding pattern, just going... When's it my turn? Yeah. So I'm sorry, I've, I've brought it up because when we you started talking about Callum, who's now out in America, of course, yeah. you know, Callum Ilock, yeah. he's, he's gone out there to try and make a name in IndyCar, quite rightly so, because he did some fantastic races last year. It's amazing how he was leading and then Mick come through, really, yeah. by stealth and started really pumping it in to then come in and win the championship, you know? Mm -hmm. Well, you, you mentioned at the start of all all that, uh, Pierre Gasly, who has kind of just, he's cemented himself as the number one in that team. Obviously, he's, he, his competition is Yuki Tsunoda, who, uh, let's, have, let's face it, had a great race, actually, uh, in Turkey. Um, but Gasly is just a talent, and, and he is really comfortable with the, the, the second junior uh, Red Bull team, Alpha Tauri, uh, and he had a great performance this weekend, didn't he? And clearly, the car's doing well. Mm. You know, they've, they've got a nice chassis. They've got something... The Honda engine's obviously working really well. Mm. Uh, and Pierre, yeah, I've got a lot of time for that guy. I think it's great. Yuki's letting himself down. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, really big time. And I tell you what, he's got a way with it to re-sign for next year because this is a vicious game. And so it's maybe kind of, you know, it fits with Honda. You know, there's always different reasons on why, you know, some people are there, to be quite frank. But Yuki's, you know, on his day, Crikey, you know, loads and loads of talent. But something's going wrong in his brain box at the moment. It's just, it's not coming together enough. I mean, you know, you say he had a good race um, 
uh, in Turkey, we still spar in a race. Yeah. You know, it's like, okay, it can happen. Believe me, trust me, I'm not making, I'm not making too many judgments because I've, I've made so many mistakes personally. It's not even funny, you know, (laughs) but, but we are talking about today's top level Grand Prix drivers coming straight from that race and how, how desperate it is for them to ingratiate themselves with the team by doing a good solid job and not keep having problems because you're judged. Mm. And even though people might be nice to you for a little while, in the background, all of a sudden, the old the old conversations start, the doubts start. Yeah. You've got a pack of journalists who walk through the F1 paddock with nothing else to do, all the media people, and they start talking. And that has an overspill on the effect on the reputation of somebody. Mm. And then the driver starts finding that out, and then they become even more like a hunted animal and then make even more mistakes. It's a vicious circle. So I understand what he's going through but no matter what he's got to stop screwing up he really has he's in a top car now mm. and pierre is completely annihilating him he is what about the the, the start with uh alonso and pierre gasly uh, obviously pierre kind of gave alonso a bit of a nudge i don't think that was a penalty i personally don't want to see these sorts of penalties this was a first corner incident he was sandwiched where could he go uh I just think I think the FIA, the FIA and uh, the, the, the stewards they're, they're stepping in a bit too much this year. What? Let, let's get a, a driver's uh, opinion on this. Uh, do you do you want to see these sorts of penalties um, in the race, Perry? Is it is it a good thing or a bad thing for the sport? Yeah, for me personally, I totally disagree with the penalty that was handed out to uh, Pierre Gasly um, mm. on the first lap. Um, you know, he he's gone in fairly hot, but Fernando's running outside, and you know. I don't know if any of these boys forget when you're going around the outside, you're in a dangerous position yeah. because one slip from this boy is going to hit you. You know, mm. the only thing is, is that Pierre did have somebody diving down the inside. I think it's Perez actually um, yeah. had him diving down the inside. So he kind of got a bit sandwiched. Now, anybody on TV is just looking through saying, Oh, he should have done this. He should have done that. And everything. these guys are dancing on ice on the first lap, not sure of the grip. They're in a Formula One car and they are going quite quickly <laughs> and everything does happen quite quickly you know so you know you you can't just automatically change direction Mm. even in a a brilliant piece of engineering which is the current f1 car sometimes you're committed and that car is going now whatever you're doing to a degree especially within that that amount of time Mm. so yeah he got stuffed i think that was a really for me personally i think that was a really harsh decision by the stewards on you know real shame for alonso because it's great fun seeing him with the bit between his teeth at the moment. Yeah. You know, it's have nothing but respect for the guy. So would love him to have got away with that move. And it was, it was a shame it went wrong. But this is motor racing. Pierre got crowded and, you know, um, three into that bit didn't kind of fit. No, and but but it's the first lap. I thought they had they, they were supposed to be more lenient to incidents on first laps because of this whole, you know, they're such, such a tightly bunched up pack. Um, it just seems this year that the FIA are, are setting precedents. Um, and once precedents are set, that's going to affect further future races unless someone steps in and goes, hang on, we're going to start it all afresh and these are the rules, you know? I, I think I think we've all been throwing stuff at the TV across <laughs> the last several years at different, at particular different um, decisions by the stewards, etc. Mm. you know? I, I was with one of the, I don't say who, but I was with one of the um, F1 stewards recently. Right. And I, I did 
pull him up on one particular thing. And then we had a long chat about him protesting on why the penalty should have been handed out. And I was protesting it shouldn't have been. Was it worrying? You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's my guess. Um... <laughs> Dell, I didn't say a thing. <laughs> they guessed. Uh, right. Uh, well, uh, the FA did release the reason why they gave him the penalty and it won't make you feel any better, Tiller, because they said that Gasly was wholly at fault for the collision and did not leave enough space for Alonso on the outside. So he got a five-second time penalty and he got two penalty points on his licence as well. Uh, that's shocking. That is shocking. I think that's it's harsh. The, uh, it's, it was harsh because uh, when it happened, uh, my boy was here and he's like, oh, he's spun and he's like, well, he got a penalty. I went, no. First corner. I mean, he was in the middle, then the next thing, boom. I'm like, oh, okay then. I mean, Alonso hitting Mick Schumacher, that was a slam dunk. I mean, yeah. whoopsie, that was an angry Alonso. Uh, <laughs> but No, um, you, i tell you something, though, that that one, you expect better from Fernando. What, yeah. what the hell he was thinking about there, God only knows. <laughs> because you're talking about Alonso, is, the guy's a genius, mm. but he had um, he had a genius day off with that move. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He went for a he went for a he went for a part of the track that was always going to have Mick Schumacher turned into it. And as you know, Perry, that you know, somebody like Fernando Alonso should have known that. Right? Mm. And I mean, if I can see that, then he should have. I mean, <laughs> uh, you think it, so? It, it was silly, uh, and they were just lucky that there wasn't carbon fiber getting fired about. That it was that they probably. The, the touches from Gasly and Alonso and Schumacher, they all hit the part of the Formula One car that doesn't break very easily. Uh, <laughs> uh, anywhere else, it could have been a wheel, suspension or something. And it, Do you know, we had a wet race on Sunday and we had not one retirement. That's crazy, isn't it? It's, it's good. It's good. But, yeah, it's not well, what we were expecting. Well, well, I remember... The, uh, I know last year we had the Turkey race and they were all skating on ice because the bitumen floated up to the surface, uh, which was very interesting to watch. Uh, <laughs> but apparently they, uh, what did they do? I think Michael Massey came out and said they water blasted it, which I've never heard of before, which turned the Turkey track from last year into the worst grip circuit to the best grip. And even during free practice, the drivers were coming out and saying, even with the inter zone, it felt like they were driving the slicks. Wow. It ended up becoming one of the grippiest circuits. So it's it, even as Perry says, it's everything. You know, the slightest thing. The McLaren was great. It won a fast circuit and then couldn't really get it together this circuit. Then the tyres might have not been. It could have been the track. Could have been the temperature. But it was amazing from one year to the next. Uh, two different, different surfaces. A yeah. surface. And all they did was treat it with some water blasting, whatever that. Is. <laughs> you've just you've just reminded me about something. Actually, talking about the teams and you know. We've been talking about the drivers, we're talking about the cars sometimes, but crikey, you know, some of these teams, when the pressure's on, just look at that situation where they brought Max Verstappen in mm. and they knew that, yeah, Lewis was going to be staying out for a while. That pit stop that Red Bull did under that kind of pressure was just sensational. Phenomenal, yeah. Absolutely sensational. And then because I was looking at the screen going, have I, have I missed something? <laughs> How on earth... Did Max get back out ahead of Lewis when Lewis was about 19 seconds behind, I think? Mm. You know, so it's clearly obviously, you know, even with the pit lane speed limit, it's clearly what we call a fast P2 
pit lane, mm. you know, because sometimes you you're convoluted and it's it's in a wrong place on the track as far as the curves are concerned. So you actually lose even more time. Yeah. So it's obviously a, a fast pit stop, but the guys at Red Bull did the most amazing job to turn Max around like that and get him back out. And when he come back out ahead of Lewis, etc., I think how I had to go back and look at the timing screens and go, oh, did I miss something? Was was Lewis actually 25 seconds back or something? So that was when you seen that that level of of precision mm-hmm. that that's kind of it's just incredible and they are the most oh, consistent on the grid as well you know they're, they're constantly doing two two seconds even sub two second uh, pit stops which is Im- immense really <laughs> they were that it good is... they were that good at their pit stops at the FIA got to go uh, <laughs> yeah. and we're like oh no we need to slow this down a wee bit this is the 1.8 seconds come on uh, <laughs> so now it's the wee push button thing they've got to do in their gun but sounds like sounds like they're on top of that already they are they had a wee they had a wee blip that driver was just like what do you mean what and they're like pressure button oh right hold on oh yeah that uh, was that was a couple of weeks that time, was wasn't it? that was that, and then that's what caused the two of them the um, hamilton uh verstappen crash but uh it's amazing and I, I don't know if you noticed perry but did you see it in the replays during the race the cameraman realized how good it was even he was going you know it's good even the cameraman's giving it a little bit uh, yeah dropping in a wee scottish <laughs> phrase there guys for our international yeah. listeners <laughs> you kind of got a real good idea where that cameraman eats at lunchtime haven't you it's like the red the red bull motor home yeah. <laughs> look, look at me i'm behind you guys <laughs> we've spoken a lot about the turkish grand prix um what i wanted to do now is rather than speak about every single person on the track because that would just take us all night and we've got other things to do other things to talk about i want you to pick another driver that maybe you you thought had a good race or had a bad race uh, that you'd like to make maybe highlight um before we move on to our interview with perry so perry i'll go to you first is there any driver from the list that we haven't spoken about that you'd like to speak about for positive or negative reasons uh mick actually had a, a good qualifying session and placed it i think he was 14 mm-hmm. on the grid and that was that was really nice to see actually um because it's again you know, he is strapped to a bit of a donkey out there at the moment. I've got all the respect in the world for Gunter Stein. I really have. Mm. He's a very, very smart guy. Yeah. And, you know, when Haas first came in with this model that they've got uh, of the, the car, the engine, the gearbox, and it being kind of put together in a, it may be a cheaper way, if you like. Mm. And suddenly they, they really did have some success from it, but they've kind of fallen away to the back and they're kind of staying at the back mm. and they're not, they don't have any sunshine in their days because clearly we've seen Williams now with the new management and everything else. Mm. Wow. They do have some sunshine days. We're seeing George get it up there and then suddenly, you know, third fastest and then, you know, out in Spa, it was wonderful for them. So we're seeing different teams. Alpha sometimes are up there. Everybody sometimes is having some kind of great day at some point, except has yeah so it's a little bit of a lonely cold situation for all of them so to see even a 14th for mick schumacher on the grid was kind of like that's a 14th on the grid. that's a high five thing so that was the one for me that i guess i was quite uh pleased about yeah you heard him over the radio as well obviously it meant a lot to him um to show that he could extract the absolute maximum out of what is a, a dog of a car yeah yeah Coops, who would you like to speak about that we haven't mentioned already? 
No, no, I mean, there's a couple. I mean, we could quickly touch on Ocon. It's the first driver to do a non-pit stop race since the Tyrrell and Mika Salo in 1997. Uh, I, think I've got my, I think I've got that right. And then the tyres were a mess by the end up. But the, I think the one that I really want to talk about is Kimi Raikkonen because he didn't seem quite right during the weekend. He had a right good go at his team because the drinks bottle wasn't attached. I can't remember if <laughs> that was qualifying or free practice. Okay, I mean, he had a right good... I mean, at one point, he was like, it's, the, it's the, the simplest part of the car to make or something, the words to those effects. And you can't get that right, kind of thing. <laughs> and then and Giovinazzi didn't move over to let him by, which could have given Kevin Raikkonen a wee point, which, for an Alfa Romeo team, that's a big deal. So, you know, there's things aren't quite right with Kimi, the, the, the Alfa team just now. It's not... You know, he, he does like to have a wee moan and he does like to have some things. And conversely, talking about moaning, a few people, even on our group chat, were, you know, were digging in at Hamilton because of his moaning about the tyres. Now, when Kimi Raikkonen does it, everybody thinks it's funny. When Hamilton does it, oh, he's whining, that's pathetic. Kind of double mm. standards there, guys. They all moan <laughs> because yeah. they all want the best and they're allowed to disagree because they're grown adults and they're professionals. But it's, you can't pick and choose. You can't say that Hamilton's not allowed to moan, but then laugh when Kimi does it, you know. But yeah, for Kimi Riker and Giovinazzi to have that kind of inter-team battle, the way things are going, and you know we're at the point now where when Williams score points, it's not a big deal anymore because I think we've, <laughs> you know, they, they got their first point. Everyone's like, ah! uh, when they actually did a race, not Spa, and then. Half, ever since then, it's kind of like, oh, by the way, George got another point. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it happens now. So yeah. well, let's not talk about it. But yeah, can I? Do you mind if I jump into something? Yeah. Um, so I, I really hope I'm not dominating. But you no, guys keep on. saying something, which which makes me think of something. And the the thing with Lewis is that you know sometimes he comes over as as very difficult, and and he said some things sometimes which. You know, can can raise the hairs on the back of your neck. Uh, not that I've got too many hairs on the back of my <laughs> neck or even on the top of my head. But but the thing is, is that what's quite interesting about how he was fighting really to try and engineer that he could be third. Yeah, mm. and then and then maybe that wasn't going to happen. So then fighting to engineer how he could be fourth, maybe you know, and then the disappointment of what then was going to be fifth place and the analysis going on. So the guy earns whatever it is, you know, 50, 60 million pounds a year, is the world's most successful Grand Prix driver as far as Grand Prix wins is concerned. Mm -hmm. Joint currently on world championships with seven. He does whatever he likes. The guy could retire eight million times over, you know? Mm. And it's the work that the guy still puts in every day of the week, pretty much, when he's at the track, to turn that pressure up, to lead the team, to demand more, 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 to want more from himself, it's, it's quite incredible, isn't it? Absolutely. You know, that, that, so that passion is still there to just say, this is wrong, we're a tire off, have you made a mistake, or have we made a mistake, or can we explore this, and what can I do to get another point? Anything. Give me another point. I don't even have to win. Give me that point. Mm -hmm. And that is quite interesting, isn't it? Don't you think? You know, he's been in this a long time now. He's won 100 Formula 1 races. And he still wants to tear your arms and legs off for a point. 
Yep. Now, that is what a lot of people miss when they talk about him just moaning. That What they're missing is the professionalism, the dedication, the focus, the drive, the need, the absolute need to succeed. And he's still got that. And for me, it's not just the talent. It's that continued application, that incredible will to make things right and to keep going forward. It is terribly difficult to win a Formula One race. It is incredibly difficult to ever win a world championship. We saw Nico turn around and say, do you know something? I don't want to live life like this anymore. I've won the world championship. And I actually understand that. I've won the world championship and this isn't for me anymore. The, The levels of of what it takes. Now, everybody might turn around and say, well, he gets paid well enough for it. Whatever. Take all that to one side, but look at what it absolutely takes from that guy to do this. And that is an incredibly impressive feature. And that is what we're let into. We're let into his mind and his heart. And everything about him, we're let into him on those radio conversations Mm. because it's here, it's now. The guy's on the ragged edge, is trying to keep the car and... On the, with everything he's got, he's trying to find grip at those speeds and still thinking. Whereas everybody thinks this is scale electrics when they're looking. <laughs> You've got somebody in there that is absolutely feeling every last ounce of this, trying to make it go faster and also trying to think at the same time on saying, what are we doing? We're going to lose a point. Mm. So he hasn't got to that stage going, oh, whatever. It's one of those days. That's what that guy doesn't do. Like him or not, as a person, this guy, that is his approach. And that is why he's the most successful Grand Prix driver. Apart, of course, he has had quite a good car. <laughs> oh, yeah, that helps. He has. I mean, he has. But you have to put yourself there, don't you? Yeah, you, you've got to put yourself there. I think people forget with Hamilton, he might come across like he's moaning, but how many Formula One model champions don't come across that? Because as Perry's basically kind of touched on, or most kind of probably Formula One drivers, you know, when they're in the car and they're fighting and they're doing their thing, they are very much focused. It's very kind of one-dimensional in a sense because it's that, this, it's the objective, it's doing this thing. And Hamilton, as Perry's just kind of said, kind of, uh, what I was thinking as well is he's, you know, Mika Hakkinen managed to win two championships and he went, you know what, I'm done. I'm tired. It takes too much effort. I can't do it anymore. As Perry said, Nico done the same thing. He won his one championship. I think he came out later and said he didn't like who he had to become to win it. Mm. You know, he's Hamilton's won seven, been involved in what, I think nine, I think there was where he could have won, but he lost yeah, out in his rookie year, missed out to yeah. Rosberg. I mean, his, his, his first championship, he probably could have won if it hadn't been. If the team had brought him in a little bit earlier in China, yep, um, was, and he skated off in the uh, pit lane, he probably probably could have won that world championship. No, he was tw- he was twelve clear, I think, or something at that point when he when he went out and then uh, Kimi Raikkonen sneaked in, uh, or he was twelve ahead of Kimi or something. But yeah, he was pretty much the front runner. But yeah, I mean, we're never going to change the minds of the people that don't like Hamilton because for whatever reason, the people that don't like Hamilton, it seems to be pretty entrenched in their psyche that they don't <laughs> like him. Uh, we're kinda, I'm kind of, and for me, I'm not a big driver fan. I'm more of a team fan. My, my last fan, uh, my last driver that I supported was, uh, was Juan Pablo Montoya. I followed him through the car yeah. years and then went up. Juan was great. 
He is amazing. And see when he sat next to Schumacher and said, you have to be stupid or blind to not see me on the outside. You're like, oh, like nobody's <laughs> ever done that before. Anyway, I'm digressing now. But yeah, uh, yeah, something going on with Kimmy. I don't know what's going on there, but it's, uh, it's definitely an interesting one to see if it develops further. Well, maybe he's not completely clear because he, you know, he missed a couple of races from not being well with COVID, didn't he? Mm. Yeah. You know, so I don't know. But maybe it's just a, an all-round you know, bad weekend for all of them. And they were maybe always getting on each other's nerves. I've, you know, it's, it's it, racing it's, I've done. It, it happens sometimes. Yeah, it, okay. really does. Yeah. Yeah. it may be something as simple as that or there's something else going on. Or I don't know. I mean, it's a very weird situation in Alpha. You've got a retiring Kimi Raikkonen and you've got Giovinazzi who's effectively fighting for his career. Mm. It's a very strange dynamic, you know, and then... The team are telling Giovinazzi, going to move over because we want the guy that's retiring to get a point, you know. And he's kind of like, well, this is for my career. Kind of like, eh, no, I'm not doing it. <laughs> and he didn't. <laughs> and then nobody got a point. So uh, it, was a, it was something I didn't notice at the time. It was only afterwards, you know, listening to a couple of the other podcasts and reading up on it and just kind of, you know, getting things ready for this that I kind of picked up on it. But it's a strange one because I've not noticed that before with the with the alphas they usually seem to get on relatively all right but as Perry says could have just been one of those weekends for them I suppose everyone has a bad day at the office every now and again uh, maybe maybe it was just that so that was the Turkish Grand Prix uh, there was uh, evidently quite a lot to talk about because we spoke, we were talking for a good 50 minutes then so uh, it was a great race it was different to what we was expecting I think um, I was expecting a lot more overtaking and a lot more kind of closer battles but I, we still had plenty to talk about it was still a really interesting race for strategy wise and and to see obviously those key key moments with uh, the Red Bulls and the Mercedes uh, fighting each other on the track and and whatnot. Before we before we go on to the next part, can we just have a wee moment to talk about Seb Vettel going out on the slick tires for one lap? Oh, that, that was funny. <laughs> he I rolled the dice. Why. It didn't he work. Did. Uh, I, mean, I mean, that didn't work by all. That's like when you play Formula One 2021 and you accidentally put the wrong tires on, and you're like, oh. Oh, that was brilliant. Turn, uh, turn off all assists and... Uh... Oh, yeah, yeah. It was just hilarious. And I, I think it was... I don't know. I mean, Perry may be able to answer this one, but I mean, how quick when you decide, I'm going to try slicks, do you realise, oh... Uh, Wrong move. Maybe not. Probably at the end of the pit lane. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the poor guy spun coming in the pit lane at like 10 mile an hour. Oh, it's yeah, but the, the thing is with those decisions, though, you can look like a real hero, can't you? Or you can look like a real zero. And unfortunately, it went the wrong way for Seb uh, this weekend. Yeah, I, I, I think that, you know, it's Seb may have inquired about I mean, it was actually one of his engineers that phoned him up. Uh, and just said, like, you know, do you think it's going to be dry enough for slicks a bit later? So Sebastian's come through a bit optimistically and said, yeah, I think it probably will be. Mm. Um, okay, but that was his thoughts at the time. But the fact was that the track clearly didn't improve to that degree. Why the team allowed him to do that or why the team didn't advise him against that was the team's fault. Mm. Yeah. Uh, because they've got... They've got all the data going on everywhere. They've seen how the new intermediates were performing. They've seen how the worn intermediates were performing. They had all that data out there, and they know that they were nowhere near the crossover period mm. you know, to start using slicks. So, no, I'm sorry. I'll, I'll, lay that, I'll lay that with the team because I would do because I'm actually a Sebastian Vettel fan, actually. <laughs> I think he's, 
I think it's just a an amazing. He the thing that you kind of love with Seb is that he's incredibly talented, but he also does make mistakes. So you kind of think you are human, aren't you? You know. Yeah. <laughs> so, but but as a person, Sebastian is he's he's unreal as a person. It's really incredibly intelligent. He's just a really nice guy. And, and coming into the Aston Martin team this year, you've really seen the kind of weight that he was holding with Ferrari kind of come off his shoulders, and he's 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 come out as a person. I think he's gained fans because of the way he's acted on, around the track. And, you know, he's, he's obviously, he's got a few causes that he's, he's interested in as well, you know, all, all, all those sorts of things. And, and he's, he's just been a bit more vocal that it maybe he was being held back uh, from doing so, it, which, you know, is usually the case in Ferrari. So I think he's certainly in a, in a better place um, with, with Aston Martin. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, but, you know, Aston's got, I mean, Aston's quite an exciting position at the moment, isn't it? Because mm. you know they're 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 not wandering around. You know that that's the you know uh, Lawrence Stroll has made a real clear point that he and the consortium are going to make sure that that team moves up. The new facilities they're developing at Silverstone, it's all very exciting stuff. How they're going to integrate it with the road cars? You know they've got Sebastian there leading the program, and again, you know even though Sebastian does mess up. You can bet your bottom dollar. He's one of the driving forces behind that team. Mm. The thing I was mentioning about Valtteri going to Alfa Romeo, that's what they've got with Seb in that team. Mm. It's a, And it's a different dynamic. There was a lot of fuss, clearly and understandably, made about Sergio being let go, especially how Sergio actually helped the Forza India team stay around. I won't get into all that one, but there was a sponsorship thing going on and everything else. Yeah. So that was that was not a great situation with how they dealt with Sergio. Clearly, you know, uh, for the obvious reasons, it was going to look like, you know, Lance was going to be in the team. Mm. So, you know, maybe, you know, with a freer hand, maybe you would have chosen to have Sebastian come in, but also keep Sergio. You know, that would be the ideal team. But somebody had to go because Lance was clearly going to be staying there, wasn't he? You know? Yeah. But I beg your pardon, I've digressed. Aston are serious. That's why they've got Seb in. Seb's able to do a lot of stuff behind the scenes here really, really um, bring this team together, create direction, work with the engineers, and, and is an incredibly valuable asset, both on and off the track for them. Absolutely. Um, let's move on then, because we, we, we've spoken about the Turkey Grand Prix. We've enjoyed it. I think it's safe to say that it was a, a good race and it gave us plenty to talk about. Long may, uh, long may Turkey remain on the calendar. It's one of my favourite tracks, in, in fact. Um, sad that we lost it for, for how, nine years or whatever it was. Uh, but I'm pleased that during the COVID times, it, it brought uh, the track back onto our, uh, into our kind of line of, of sight for the Formula One uh, championship uh, and hopefully it'll be here next year it's obviously between that and Singapore uh, I think in the tw- on the 2022 calendar okay well let's interview our guest but first for our stateside racing fans DraftKings Sportsbook has a Formula One racing no-brainer that's bound to put you in victory lane. New customers can bet just $1 on the next race at the Circuit of Americas in Austin, Texas and win $100 in free bets if any driver finishes a lap. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, you can get in on the action still with DraftKings free-to-play pools. All customers get a free shot at $5,000 in total prizes. Just answer a handful of questions about what you think will happen during the race and follow along to track your results. DraftKings is safe, secure, and reliable. Best of all, you 
you can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code EverythingF1, bet just $1 in the next race at the Circuit of Americas and win $100 in free bets if any driver finishes a lap. So that's promo code EverythingF1 for this no-brainer at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older, NJIN or PA only, new customers only, minimum $5 deposit for free bet promotion. One per customer, restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. First and foremost, you were quite late coming into uh, motorsport, weren't you? Well, compared to these days where, where you've got like eight-year-olds starting karting um you you were an 18-year-old man yeah i mean you know all of the above and that was just to take a that was just to take the jim russell course and the brands hatch driving course you know or not an entire course but uh yeah just to go on track so yeah very late i mean i didn't even follow it um but it was when i got to college i started drawing racing cars and mm. then reading about these drivers and getting into the technicalities of the cars and and on the road Maybe I wasn't God's gift, to be quite frank. Um, <laughs> so I was practicing a little bit on the road. Got to meet a lot of Essex police like that, to be quite honest. We used to talk about my driving uh, quite, quite often. Um, you know, it's... Um, but that was... Um, so then a few things, weird things happened, and I decided that's it, I'm going to be a race driver. So then I went to work on oil rigs for a couple of years to actually get the money together to even start... But yeah, so really and truly, by the time I did my first races, um, I was uh, 20, wow. uh, late, you know, and then really, when I kicked off in my first championship, I was actually 21. So um, when you see Max winning races, at, I don't know, what was he, nine when he came into Formula One? <laughs> <laughs> Certainly. And they had to put special blocks on his pedals to reach that. Yeah, yeah. 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 So what was it like working on the oil rigs? Oh, it was wonderful. I, I really loved it. Yeah, it was uh, freezing cold. <laughs> um, it's buffeted by rain, big waves knocking the place around. And I was spending between 12, 14, sometimes 16 hours a day shot blasting to get the old coating off the metal, big metal legs, big metal decks, so that we could then spray them. And so, and then in order to do all that, I needed to do the scaffolding Clearly not just me on my own. There were a few others. Yeah. But did you know did scaffolding? So you're lugging, you're humping. You, so we needed to do all that corrosion control mm. uh, to make sure that the rigs didn't rust and then have a structural failure and fall over. But it was a way to earn a lot of money when I was like 18, 19, 20. Yeah, it's a well-paid job, so, isn't it? Well, yeah. But I mean, you're working a lot of hours and you're working seven days a week, but you do end up stacking up a good few bobs. So it's a good accelerated way to get money because believe me, the jaws of motor racing swallow money. <laughs> like, and it keeps going, I want some more. I want some more. Yeah. So it had to come from somewhere. So it got me started. And, you know, that was the, that was, that was why I was doing it. It's the most important thing. So, but yeah, trust me, anybody who works on the rig and enjoys it out there, they're nuts. <laughs> <laughs> so you finally did get your, your, your break into motorsport. What, what was it you started in and, 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 how did you find it? Well, I, as you said, I had no karting experience and there was no family experience in, in it or anything like that. So I came straight in to Formula Ford 1600. Mm. So clearly, of course, that was the, the major route. You know, nearly everybody who got to Formula One had done something or other in Formula Ford. Yeah. Um, I can't, can't really think of too many people that, that hadn't mm. because back then there was a very 
very structured hierarchy to get through. Formula Ford, maybe Formula Ford 2000, certainly Formula 3. Mm. And then by the time I was out there, then it was called Formula 3000, the next step up. Clearly, of course, it's Formula 2 now. But there was this thing where the uh, F1 cars had all gone over to turbos and they were losing their Cosworth 3-litre DFVs, the 3,000 cc's. Right. So Bernie, Bernie, Bernie Ecclestone put this deal together for the formula to use all the ex-DFV engines uh, so that the F1 teams had a home and wouldn't lose their money to, to go on to us saps, you know. <laughs> but, but Formula 3000 was... Uh, it was a brilliant formula, so that was great. So that was the route through, and and we had a really unusual situation actually, because you know, in any one year, you're terribly lucky, maybe, to see somebody graduate to Formula One. That that thing we were talking about earlier, Kurt, you know, yeah. about the spaces and any one time, um, and then also from a, a talent pool, maybe there's one, maybe there's two that's pretty good, and maybe they rise to the top over a period of years. With us lot, it was um, they were they were quite some years to be quite frank. Uh, you know, I was against uh, Damon, uh, Johnny Herbert, Mark Blundell, um, Martin Donnelly, Julian Bailey, Bertrand Gasho, um, and yeah, it was. I mean, and then when we did the France stuff and everything else, we had Comas, Bernard, and Lacey. Wow. You know, big names. Um, so, you know, there was a, a whole bunch of us that all knew each other. I mean, in England, you know, there, there's my little rat pack, which is me, Damon, Johnny, uh, Mark, Martin Donnelly and Julian Bailey. And we all came through together, you know. So, you know, a lot of us in Formula Ford, Formula 3, Formula 3000. You know, I mean, by the time we got to F1, all the families knew each other. The, the kids <laughs> knew each other and everything else, you know, it's just... So it was it was amazing uh, pack of us and and a great story and a real big adventure you know I mean you know we're all very good friends indeed clearly on track you know we're you know not exactly going to go after you you know yeah, it's, yeah. Um, yeah it's it was hard hard close racing but you know there was some trust out there not necessarily with Martin Donnelly all the time but there was <laughs> should we sorry Martin should, should we tell him you said that <laughs> we need, we need, I'll tell him we need, don't worry we need to get him on and see his side of it as well <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. anyway uh, so you've driven in quite a few series you've mentioned a few there so what would be your what was your favourite to drive in and if there was one series you wished that you to drive in and you didn't what would those two be Different ones. Um, I, I loved Formula 3000. Uh, it was, you know, it was really quick and it was very hard racing. Mm. You know, we were we were very quick and we were all close. Right. You know, so that that got that got heavy duty. That really did. I had a great time racing in America. Um, that really went terribly well for me. So I really, for me personally, the I I kind of enjoyed more and more power. Um, and that's that's that kind of suited me and how I drove, you know. Mm. So that was um, that was great. What what would I've driven? I mean, clearly, of course, I would love to bloody competitive Formula One car <laughs> rather than the thing I was in, you know. <laughs> I mean, you know, the the thing I was in was quite unique actually. It wasn't just slow, but it was also dangerous as well. <laughs> <laughs> and so we had we had the best of both worlds. I mean, our car was all in black. All we needed to do was put brass handles on the side. It was just going to save time putting me straight in the ground. Um, but that was so <laughs> F1 was 
F1 was really disappointing, really disappointing. Um, but when I was testing for Williams and Benetton, suddenly you're in the most amazing cars and you go, wow, look what I can do. Mm. But that going back to that thinkers that we were saying, there wasn't the space for me in yeah. the team at that time, you know? So, you know, you just kind of go, look, I've done everything I can. You know, I've just, you know, you've walked around industrial estates for weeks at a time trying to put sponsorship together. You're on the phone all the time. You're sending out brochures, you're seeing people, whatever it takes. And that's always been my motto. But if it's, I mean, clearly the cards fell for me uh, at different points. Otherwise, I would never have actually come all the way through racing like this. Mm. But it's that competitive thing. You're there, you want to go better. You're, with this team, you want to be a better one. You're, you're sick from the grid, you're going to be first, you know? So it's all of those things and you fight. But that's one of the, maybe it's one of the interesting things about motor racing for all drivers because it does appear that it doesn't matter what you do. Mm. Motor racing is always there to ask for more. So that's quite an intriguing occupation, really, where you're just completely, I mean, you know, when I was a race driver, I, sometimes it's difficult to communicate outside the car at home or whatever because you're closing your eyes and you're going into a corner mm. or you're thinking about a setup, which isn't always very conducive to Sunday lunch, <laughs> you know? So, but but it's, so it is obsessional and it is, sort of, it's, and this is where I have such admiration for, you know, people like Seb who's won multiple championships, certainly Lewis and of course Michael, mm. um, you know, with their approach to this, they, they were the absolute you know, and so obviously not forgetting Ayrton, Mika, you know, all, all of the other people, even the, the even the single world champions, <laughs> you know, you look at Damon and his approach is that Damon is able to really take huge pressure and deal with stuff in a very logical, precise manner and and be incredibly fast. Damon was often underrated. He really was, you know. I love Damon. I think he'd be underrated. I love Damon. Winning. He should have had that yes. he should have had that championship before in uh, 94 was it as well. Uh, you know, absolutely, you know. Oh, what, when you mean when Michael didn't see him? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> when he didn't see him. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> sure. He actually, sure he looked you didn't. over. He looked over and <laughs> see him. So when when the leap did come to get into Formula One, obviously, unfortunately, it didn't quite go as well as you wanted to. But what was the feeling like after all that hard work that you'd done? You know, you'd worked oil rigs to get yourself into the sport. You must have been over the moon to kind of at least get that seat. Was there parties? Was there fun and frolics that, that kind of celebrating that fact? It's really emotional, you know, to get to get the thumbs up that, that you know, after all those years of trying and everything that had gone on behind the scenes, which people don't see is to get the thumbs up and just say, oh, my God, I've done it. I've actually done it. I've got, you know, I've come from, like, the streets of walking around Basel and everything else to, to, to you're working on the rigs to, and everybody telling me, you don't stand a chance, you don't stand a catch chance in hell. Mm. But being too stupid to actually listen maybe was a benefit <laughs> because it's uh, just to just to keep saying, I, I believe I'm good enough and I believe I can do it. So that moment that we're talking about about saying oh my god i'm in it was yeah there was a lot of things going on it was it was wonderful for karen as well because you know all the stuff sorry my wife um because yeah. you know we had been through quite a bit and she'd always just stood there going you know you can do this you know that's so that's an amazing thing so you know a kind of if there is any glory in you know anything I've done? It's 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 shared with Karen. There's no question about it. Yeah. It really is. You know, 
I mean, she's nowhere near as good as me in a race car. I mean, let's get that straight right now. You know? yeah. I'm guessing she's not there currently. <laughs> they said that. Capes. Yes. Yeah, so you had the worst run of luck within F1 and never really had a competitive lap. So how did it, how did it emotionally feel going from the excitement of, I'm in Formula One, driving the car that you ended up driving how did you kind of cope with it how did you deal with it it's yeah each weekend you just somehow hoped that the bunch of maniacs i was driving for <laughs> might actually put something together you might stand a chance and then i just kept thinking you know something you know can we have it where it rains in qualifying please <laughs> can we have it where it rains because that's going to equal the score up and then uh, then i can do something, you know, I really can. Mm. Um, but it didn't. So, you know, one time everybody's cursing the weather about it raining. Not one time when I was out there did it rain, you know, <sighs> whereas that that would have that would have helped me get it through. But you know something? Maybe that was a blessing in disguise because if you start a Grand Prix in that thing, you know, you could be over the barriers. You know, we were having mm. breakages, the steering was jamming. They oh. knew that they put a 40 steering rack on me at Spa. Wow. You know? And that oh, no. and that was nearly good. That I'm not being dramatic. This is because it's a very well known story. That was very, very, very nearly night night Perry. No. You know, because going into a rouge, even my thing could do over 170 going into a rouge. And you turn the steering wheel, and you go, mm. you know, the corner's going that way. The wall's right there. It'd be quite handy if this turned. Wow. You know, and it jammed. So anyway. I won't bore you with details. It's all in my book, Flat Out, Flat Broke, 799, <laughs> published by Haynes, available. Yeah. Um, nice. But anyway, that, so there were there were moments there where it wasn't just it wasn't just bad luck, you know. It was it was they were very very badly organised. Uh, they didn't really know what they were doing. After saying all that, nobody else has opened the door for me to go into Formula One. There were plenty of people who had talked to me about being in F1, mm. and Ken, had talk, Ken Tyrrell had talked to me about one point exactly the wrong time, but Ken knew I was there. Mm. And it was like, maybe, maybe. It was exactly the same with Footwork Arrows. Mm. John Wickham, who was team manager, wanted me to replace a particular driver that they had, you know? So that, so time after time, you, you're that close. But there was never the gap. Andrea Moda got me into F1, um, but it clearly didn't work out terribly well. No. You know, but I suppose one thing you can take pride in, though, uh, you, you you worked all these manner of jobs, even to just get sent out to to these the races. You, nothing was given to you, was it? Um, so I suppose one thing you can take pride in <laughs> that you personally have obviously a lot of determination to get where you are, and and, and that's, I think that's probably a really good trait to have and a good good thing to pass on to say to your children and to, to anyone kind of reading your book as well really just it was just it, it was just like a long-term initiative test even when i was in formula one because they were a real small team so they couldn't pay me mm. and i still had to find the expenses to even get to the it was you know it was like a new game there's a grand prix somewhere you just got to find them and find who your team are you know so it was you had to put some money together to actually get out there you had to try and train in the background somehow as well as keep a roof over your head when there's no time to have a job it's it looked it, it had a lot of challenges, but it was the the passion and the belief that maybe this could get better. Mm. That why we why we stayed with it. Why everything was about it. And you know you don't get into F one 
uh, the route I took by being a shy retiring violet. You know, there was <laughs> what, it's it was whatever it took. So nothing nothing seemed too tough to me anymore. Anyway, it was just that surviving, making it all happen, and um, and trying to make that chance work because that's what I'd had to do with every other chance coming through is that any chink of light, any opportunity, get the crowbar in there, open it up and try and make it a better one. This is why I sometimes giggle a bit when you see X Factor and there's somebody who's 20 and said, but this is my last chance. <laughs> you're going to go, hmm. Maybe not. You've got a long way to go before <laughs> there's a, before it's last chance, you know? Yeah. That's, but you can make life an awful lot easier for yourself if you say, okay, I accept defeat or, or, okay, this isn't for me or this is too hard, you know? But you can make a life a lot more difficult for yourself by saying that no, I won't accept no for an answer and I have to keep finding a way around it. But rather than have the violin out here, <laughs> is that when I did have the opportunity to be inside a great racing car, that is what I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. But I was kind of blessed with some of the efforts actually working. To, to provide me with that, to be able to allow me to follow my particular dream anyway and, and fight in the fastest cars in the world against the best drivers in the world. And, you know, quite a few of the times I beat them. Yeah. You know, so, uh, <laughs> so uh, kind of, you know, I wasn't a complete mug in F1 maybe. but <laughs> Well, it's just luck as well, isn't it, sometimes? Keeps... So you managed to survive your experience in Formula One. Uh, and then you head it over to sports cars, uh, racing in Le Mans for quite a few years. So what was it like going over to sports car and also one of the most prestigious and well-known races, the Le Mans 24 hour? What was it like competing in that race? Well, the funny thing is it was actually sports cars that, because I'd finished um, what I was able to do with Formula 3000, because we had, um, to get just really quickly, sorry, to, to even do Formula 3000, it's I'd... When I was in Formula 3, I was very highly paid. You know, I put some great sponsorships together. I put that into property. I made a lot more money. So our house had quite a good bit of equity in it, even back then, even back when I was like 26, 27 years old. Mm. But with Formula 3000, there was no sponsorship. So we put the house against the drive just to get me into three of the races with the works route team wow. just as a, so that's how expensive it was mm. you went goodbye to all that just for that opportunity just for that chance you know but then formula 3000 it had actually believe it or not that yeah there was no podium but considering what i was driving it actually gone terribly well for me so the reputation was right up there but there was no silverware so that mm. that was okay you know mm. But then America opened up, and that was sports cars. So I was against the Works Jaguar team, the Works Nissan team, the Works Porsche team, the Works Toyota team. And that was went terribly well for me. You know, pole positions, leading races against all the real, real big boys. Mm. And so clearly I then came F1. But then when I came out of F1, we were in so much financial trouble. The house had gone. We're in massive debt. That was it. So I had to straighten us out for the next couple of years before I then came back. And as you rightly said, that then came into sports cars then. So I had had already some familiarity with it, but there was the GT World Championship in sports cars, not just the Le Mans 24 Hours, you know. But Le Mans 24 Hours, my goodness, what a race. 
what a circuit <laughs> you know it's just absolutely full on and then to end up you know riding for somebody like Audi mm. is as you know it's that's that's where you feel good that you know they've got their choice you know of you know anybody who has been in F1 or whatever you could pretty much say that they're big keen on joining Audi so it's a, it's a great pat on the back and kind of it makes you feel like you've not been wasting your time you know to just go okay look see I can do it you know that was great but I did have a good times driving for Panos and uh, also the Works Chrysler team didn't have a very good time with Lotus um, me and Jan Lammers were there uh, who's an XF1 driver I love Jan to bits didn't like the team very much right um so yeah there was there were some great moments raced in america again uh for the dyson team great people little urd german team just had a great time really great time putting it putting it out there sometimes when it shouldn't have been there okay well then you moved out, out of uh, our racing altogether and you you kind of moved into tv as the first ever stig for top gear so you did allude to it in the when you uh, introduced yourself at the start of the podcast, but can you kind of explain to us how you got into that? All came, isn't it funny how so many different things are connected? Mm. You know, it's yeah, with all the stories and the stunts that I was putting to stay involved in motor racing and to try and get ahead and everything, everybody kept saying, you know, everybody in F1 used to keep saying that you've got to write a book about all this. It's because, you know, I, I did use the giggle about all the dramas and everything else. And they said, I did. I wrote the book and Audi, you know, I was writing for them already uh, at that time. So that was fantastic. They really backed me up and they said, right, we're going to use our central Mayfair showrooms, you know, directly opposite um, uh, the Ritz, actually. So we have a big launch for the book there. Wow. Um, and we had lots of friends there from motor racing and also loads of friends from TV, et cetera. So everybody came to back me up, which is really sweet of them. It was really appreciated. Um, or was it that or the free drink? It was on one <laughs> of the two. So that was it. So, so we launched it. But, of course, Jeremy Clarkson was there, and so was Andy Wilman, who was the producer of the show. And it was there that they said, hey, listen, we're going to be Top Gear had been off air for a long time by then, and we're going to be bringing it back. And we've got this idea. And then Jeremy said, "You know, you're going to be wearing black gloves, black overalls, and black boots, black crash helmet, a black visor, <laughs> and we're going to call you the Gimp." And that's when I said, "No, you're not." You know. So then we went back and forward on that one a bit, and then finally we settled on um, the stick. So and none of us, of course, knew. Uh, how big Top Gear was going to be because it ended up going into 215 countries and the stick, cracky, it's like everybody's going, who's the stick? Who's the stick? And it became, you know, I mean, it actually became one of the top questions asked on the internet, you know? <laughs> it was. It was inside the top seven questions. Wow. I think just ahead of it was, am I pregnant? As a question. <laughs> but apart from that, the stick was right up there. So, Were you pregnant? Was the, was the stick pregnant? Is that... And an amalgamation of two. We many never searches. got round to that. <laughs> <laughs> but the stick stuff was—it was good fun, and you know, the driving just about everything that there was around the track as fast as I could, and I was pushing. Uh, you know, I always was pushing. But but being a test driver isn't me. You know, I'm I am a race driver, so it yeah, it wasn't. I I enjoyed driving the cars, you know. Yeah. Um, but I had to have my racing as well. That, that's that's the thing that head on the head competition was the thing that always 
always drove me really you know but yeah so and the star and reasonable price car stuff was fun yeah. Oh, yeah so where we had the celebrities come down and i'd take them out in a little suzuki liana try and teach them how to turn in and where to change gear and everything else and you know, watch them screaming in the passenger seat. That was always great. <laughs> Did anyone really impress you uh, from the from the stars? You were like, "Wow, these can really drive." Yeah, Jody, Jody Kid. Okay. Yeah, yeah, she's Jody, great. Jody had, yeah, she had a real natural, real natural speed about her, um, and I think it's because she's got such great eye to hand coordination because of all the polo she played and that balance and everything else. So she was she was ahead of the game. Jay from Jamiroquai. I've been on track with Jay before actually, and Jay is. Uh, is is ballsy, you know. He's just, he wants to go fast, and he's he's got some talent. He's he's fast. He needs shaving down, which is actually not a bad thing, you know. Mm. He's 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 got he's got it, but he needs to be slightly more controlled. And then you had various other people with various different abilities, yeah, that attitudes, you know. Was there anybody that you were looking forward to? Can I let you down a wee bit? You don't need to name names, but was there a couple you thought? Oh, I thought you would have been better. Um, do you know, you can, I mean, I think that I'm useless at golf, but there are some analogies, you know, is that if you, if you just have a couple of bad strokes, mm. then all the other good strokes, you tally, you, you look rubbish, don't you? Yeah. So, so somebody could actually be quite good in a few corners, but just make a couple of mistakes by going too cautious or maybe just a bit over the top. And then suddenly that lap time looks mediocre. Whereas they haven't actually just put it all together. It doesn't mean to say they haven't got it, you know? Yeah. Um, but that's where, you know, clearly that's where using a Suzuki Liana mm. was actually um, sensible because you're not talking about something that, you know, I mean, when you're driving something real quick, you know, you, the acceleration's so fast is that, you know, it pulls your skin back and you look five years younger. It's incredible, <laughs> you know? But so the Suzuki Liana definitely wasn't that kind of vehicle. No. So, they were able to be ahead of it a bit easier. And it was the it was the right thing as a training vehicle. You know, we could get the old girl up to speed a little bit, but nothing mega. <laughs> but but disappointments, uh, I liked nearly everybody who came on there. There were there were literally two that I didn't wasn't too keen on. And would you would you divulge who they were? I have done. It's all in, oh, the, it's book. in the book. Okay, well, we've got to leave some intrigue for the fans. Okay. There, we'll leave some intrigue for the fans. Um, you would have driven quite a few variety, a variety of you know, great, unbelievable cars uh, whilst you're on the show. Do you have a favourite that you that you really enjoyed? Maybe thought, you know what, I'm, I might buy one of these. <laughs> um, the I guess one that I really did enjoy driving was the Pagani Zonda. No, oh. um, but that had a bit of a story actually because. Uh, the, don't let me get into this too far but <laughs> for some reason Andy Wilman wanted to keep spraying the corners with a real fast guy he wanted to keep having the waters what uh, certain corners sprayed with water right right to, to make it loose and that's that as that so anyway not being flashed but I can handle that <laughs> but but what was interesting with the Pagani Zonda so you know you're talking about something that's double quick here yeah, yeah? yeah. well you know when you're in your road car and there's your steering wheel under the column you've often got a, a lever so you undo the lever and you can adjust the steering wheel mm -hmm. to go up and down can't you yeah mm. yeah yeah just for your driver comfort yeah? yeah yeah before you lock it again yeah or or that same lever you can actually pull the steering wheel closer to you yeah right 
I don't know if you can see this. Is that making yeah, sense? Yeah, I, I, yeah, I understand. Yeah. I understand. So basically, you can you can get out there and bring it to there or down to there. You know, before you pull the lever back up and it's and it locked in, in place. Position. Yeah. Right. I've set the scene. <laughs> well, the, the Pagani Sonders turned up, and there and then that lever had broken. Oh. oh. Okay. So you're now talking about this thing that's got over 600 brake horsepower, and it's really really lively. And I'm going around the top kit test track as fast as I can. So opposite lock, full power with the steering <laughs> going like that. And you're thinking, I've somehow got to get this right, haven't I? You know? I mean, if it had been linked to an accordion, that could have been something extra as well. But it was just, so that was, that got my full attention. And that was uh, wow. good fun. Um, and then other cars, yeah, I mean, we had a whole range. Um, but I, yeah, it's uh, some cars I found, you know, I always look at the absolute cost of something and just think, mm, okay, but if it is spectacular, you go, okay, that's the cost of spectacular. Mm. There have been some cars where you just go, hmm, right, they're charging that for that. And <laughs> yeah. um, so, you know, it's, I don't, I'm not automatically impressed because the car's got a name to it. Mm. I, th- I always remember driving. There was one car I drove, which is the Honda Civic Type R. Okay. And back then, yeah, back then it was costing like about 20, this is back then, it was costing about 20, 21 grand, something like that. Mm-hmm. And I thought, wow, that that is a great little car. I really, really, really enjoyed driving that. I thought that was great. Going going kind of back to the kind of the mystique of the Stig, how, how many people actually knew that you were a Stig? Did, did you ever divulge it to anyone uh, or, or did the... Did the team ever kind of divulge it to anyone obviously the celebrities yeah it's really funny the celebs would have known yeah um well i knew a few of them anyway so they they knew it was me but but i did start disguising my voice and put on a very heavy french accent (laughs) you know (laughs) stuff like that and it's really funny when you're doing that to see people trying to help Oh, you speak goody. Oh, you think I speak goody? <laughs> yes, you do. And as you're behind now, I'm just going, uh, it's just really laughing. Um, but no, I mean, you know, we, we took it pretty seriously on, on the secrecy stuff. Uh, it was funny because the, the ver- after the very first show, the following morning, I, I got a text from, you know, Mike Brewer from Wheeler Dealers? Oh, yes. Yeah. 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 That, so Mike sent me a text and just went, morning, Stiggy. <laughs> wow. <laughs> he just... Well, kind of, I always used to stand around, you uh, know, if with my career, I used to stand with my arms folded quite a bit, you know? But, and I think it was the bow legs gave it away as well. Um, uh, okay. But, so that was that. But the funny thing was when we first did the deal is that they sat me down and said, it's got to be secret. And I said, well, clearly it's got to be secret. And they said, you can't tell anybody. So I said, well, I'm, you know, sure. I'm going to have to tell Karen, my wife. Mm. Anyway, no. <gasps> I said, oh, um, oh. because you remember the first stick was all dressed in black, yeah, yeah. for me, yeah. So I said, um, no, I'm going to have to tell Karen. And they said, no, 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 you can't tell anybody. I said, no, seriously, mate, I'm really going to have to tell Karen. And they said, why? So I said, mate, you try leaving the house at six o'clock in the morning dressed from head to foot in black leather. Saying, <laughs> <laughs> don't worry, darling, I should be on around midnight, but nothing's going on. <laughs> can I see your point? You can tell the wife. Yeah. You know? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, but then bit by bit, I couldn't make it one time, so I had Julian uh, Bailey standing for me. Okay. Um, but, you know, but there was, you know, Jeremy obviously always knew it was me. Um, but it kind of got out a bit, and especially after the first 
season where I think Top Gear fired somebody inside the production department and they went to the newspapers and sold the story. So that's when it was really out. But, you know, the people in motor racing that knew, um, everybody played the game, really. They didn't, you know, they didn't broadcast it and everything else. So that was that was really cool, you know. I suppose it was just nice, nice to kind of leave that, you know, people guessing down the pub. Oh, who's that? Did you ever kind of st- stand next to anyone in the pub and the people going, yeah, it's a story. It's a, it's a story I've used a lot. I used to I used to stand in oh, okay. pubs and listen to people say, "Who do you think the Stig is?" And I was thinking, <laughs> I, I mean, I did I didn't say anything. Not even for free lager. I didn't I didn't oh. say anything, you know. But um, but yeah, it was funny. I mean, Damon was always talking about saying. He said, "You know something?" He said, "I'm going to get a T-shirt made up saying I'm not the <laughs> Stig," because <laughs> so many people thought it was Damon. Oh. What really made me laugh is when news started coming back to me that people thought it was Jean Lacey, but they thought it was Jean Lacey because of the French accent. So, but I mean, Jean's French Sicilian, you know, but Jean would never have liked lunchtimes there, believe me. So, <laughs> so yeah, so that was that. There was a, a bit of an adventure, um, but it's and it's been kind of quite sweet actually. To I don't think this is overstating it. I think that Stiggy has become part of automotive history oh yeah so in a you know what what has been a really turbulent adventure coming through motor racing and and with so many real ups and downs and then to have the stiggy thing added onto it as well sometimes i do just sit back and smile just thinking that this has been a roller coaster it really has so it was it was so it was all came about because of writing the book having the party jeremy was there just at that time Mm. to then come in I wouldn't let it be called the game. Baby served on the stick. That's and it's just all these things that add up and spin off. So it's it's incredible. It really is. Okay, well let's leave Top Gear away around because obviously I'm I'm guessing there's some about that in your book or in your audio book that you've got coming out that, that our fans can hear about. Yeah, I mean after after I left Top Gear, you know I could write about it. So you know it's there are some people on the internet that say I got fired for releasing my identity. I never I never did that. Mm. My book. My book came out before Top Gear and there was a stick, you know? So it was like after I left the show, I just updated Flat Out Flat Pro. Right. It doesn't change the nature of the book. The nature of the book is being a racing driver coming through and fighting to get to the top. But with this kind of three on the end of it, you know? So that was the uh, the extra bit. You, moving away from Top Gear then, do you still manage to get any kind of driving in, any racing? Are you part of any series or are you considering going into anything? No, I did a bit of a comeback actually a couple of years, exactly a couple of years ago. And I did four races in the what was pretty much the European Rallycross Championship Series. It's called the Titan Rallycross. Right. And there was me and the Hanson brothers. You know, they're no good. They <laughs> came uh, first and third in the World Championship. But obviously, I taught them my techniques. <laughs> <laughs> so they were fantastic, those guys. Andy Jordan was out there. Um, my dear friend, Abby uh, Eaton, was there. Yeah. Um, uh, Ollie was out there. Um, yeah, we had, there was loads of really, really great drivers. And we just had the best time, really did. And I really enjoyed getting to grips with this four-wheel drive on the gravel new form of racing and Abby and I kept clouting each other nearly every weekend. So that was brilliant. You know, <laughs> we had a great time, but we really did. So that was great. But I think, I mean, I think that, I don't know, you know, something never say never at the moment, you know, orientating himself toward another drive. Um, it's not 
not it's not part of my program i'm i'm involved in a, a few pieces of business at the moment which are taking a lot of time right you know and they're, and they're quite exciting and sadly i can't announce what they are at the moment but i'm really looking forward to being able to do that Ooh. so and this is that putting the literally putting the audio book uh, together was a few days in the studio had the idea everybody kept saying you've got to do it so i went okay so book the studios in town found some great people to back me up and help me and I'm just delighted that the book has has kind of continued in its own journey now reaching reaching new people with the story because it's it's been it's been quite touching to be quite frank on how it's been received over the years and and you know it there seems to be it seems to be the story seems to be held with quite a lot of affection that's that's the, the most i can ask it really is so did you enjoy writing the whole the whole process of writing your book? Was it kind of cathartic, I guess, and getting all kind of the things that the bad things that happened and then the good things that happened? Was it was it a, a nice process to kind of write that? Yeah, I mean, it's um, it's interesting. I've, I've talked to other people that have done this kind of thing. And, you know, there are, you know, the, 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 the book is, you know, it's high speed, it's high paced and there's a lot of fun and a lot of laughter in it. Um, and thank goodness it has made an awful lot of people laugh. Um, there are other moments that have really touched me or hurt me or have been of great loss with friends that have been you know, seriously injured or killed. Right. And and so, the, you know, when you're, when you're bringing this together and and you always got to remember that the reader is the person at the other end, you know, so you'd, you want to cover these things, but, you you know, you don't want to bury them in absolute detail. There are certain moments in time. So you you're trying to think, how can I... How can I convey what this is feeling and what's just happened and how other people are feeling as well? So there are moments when, you know, I'm not kidding you, I had an absolute lump in my throat mm-hmm. and tears in my eyes uh, at, at different moments that were my moments as well or, or losing a friend or something that's happened in motor racing. There are other times when I'm recalling stuff where I'm literally crying with laughter. <laughs> you know, the stunts that I've just got up to, what something that I've pulled off, looking back, thinking, you really were stupid, weren't you? You know, <laughs> just like, you know, why did I actually really do that? You know, it's just, so that's, that. it's it's full of that. It's a roller coaster. That It's full of that. So, um, so that's what everybody, that's what everybody's always told me. And that's why, uh, everybody was so keen for me to do the audiobook. And in the end, I just went, I'm going to do it. That's it. Great. Okay. Do you want to plug the audiobook while you're here? Then? I know you've said about it. Where, where can people, where can our fans uh, and anyone listening uh, find your audiobook? I, it's, it's with a partner that we've got called Awesound, which is A W E S O U N D dot com. So it's on there. But, uh, but you know, if they're, if they're on my Facebook page, uh, not the public one, that my Facebook page, <laughs> they'll see it plastered all over it at the moment on how to just click through and get it if they want to you know hey i'm buying now 20 percent off and you know it makes sense as a fantastic christmas gift thank you very much <laughs> well we will absolutely put links to uh, links to that in the posts uh, that we do share for our podcast and, and we'll pop it oh thank you we'll pop it in the uh, we'll pop it in the podcast uh, thing as well so any fans that are uh, that are on on today listening uh, by all means click in one of those links uh, and get yourself a, a, a copy of perry mccarthy's audiobook uh, that was released just today, wasn't it? Was it just today that you released it? It was today, yeah. We brought it out today. Flat out, flat broke Excellent. as an audio book. Excellent. Coops, have you got another question for Perry? Yes. Uh, since you've moved away from the top gear in your motorsport, you've moved into public speaking. Have you always had the kind of gift of the gab? Is that something you fell into? Or was that something you wanted to head towards? Yeah, I 
you know, the funny thing was it actually kicked off in in F1, really, because you know, the there were different Formula One tour operators who were saying, okay, look, Perry, if you come and give a speech to our people, our guests, you know, make them laugh, do whatever, you know, because I've you know, always used to tell gags and stuff. So, mm. but if you can do that, we'll pay you pay for your flights to get to the race, and we'll pay for your hotel room. So it was actually I'm I'm working my passage to actually get to a Formula One race, um, but this is how I was able to do it. Mm. And you know you you develop the experience of speaking to people and they enjoy the stories and then you start putting more effort into it, saying okay, right, I've had an idea for a gag or I've had an idea for you know this happened to me and what's going to go down well, what people are interested in, mm-hmm. and then clearly you you end up probably like any performer or any occupation, you you start finding out what works, how to do it, and then you extend that um, because. You know, that was then taken up by industry. Mm. Once I was returning back to England, more people, the word got out more and more. And and then sometimes people were saying, hey, well, how do you keep going in these circumstances? So then it was really a question of just organising my thoughts and organising my opinions and experiences and really understanding what's happening with a company that needed somebody to give them a motivational speech, marrying the two together and then delivering so then that took off, and then there's the business of Formula One and how it integrates and associates with some of the kind of clear objectives conventional industry has. Mm-hmm. So then you look at you know marginal gains, you're looking at that process of saying, how can we be better? How can we go faster? Collecting the right people, having an aligned attitude, all that kind of stuff. And I I've always found that I've always found it interesting what other people need and how they see it. And I believe that. You know, those of us involved in motor racing, we're privileged to be around so many incredible people, We're certainly in Formula One, on how they go about their business. And there's lessons to be learned and soaked up and, and just shared. So I guess I'm kind of like a conduit, if you like, between, you know, commercial business, F1, mm. my own opinions injected into that and experiences. So, so that's kind of, I've been terribly busy doing that for quite a long time now not necessarily over the last 18 months no yeah it must have taken a hit during this covid times yeah 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 i was giving the family motivational speeches <laughs> they still owe me for that <laughs> we, we ask every single one of our guests a couple of questions now they, they're, 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 they're the questions that we ask everyone that comes along so we're just going to go into those before we finish the podcast um and i'm going to ask you five english pounds You've got five pounds and the bookmaker has just popped up in front of you. Um, you've got a bet on either Max Verstappen or Lewis Hamilton to win the championship this year. Who are you sticking your money on? It's going to be close. It's so close. Everyone, everyone stumbles on this one because it's, especially as the season's gone on, it was, it was very clear answers at the start of the season when we were interviewing people. Was like, everyone was like, yeah, Lewis Hamilton, Lewis Hamilton. But now as the season's progressed, everyone's like, oh, do you know what? It's really, really difficult to do. Mm. I think they're both okay on engines now. Mm. I, I think I think they are, um, unless yeah, unless one of them has a, a dent, you know, in the wall or something like that. Um, yeah, I kind of yeah, I'm not I'm not sure about laying money out on anything. <laughs> believe me. Um, so so the, the five quid's irrelevant. It's um, I I think it is. I think it, I think this is. Do you know something? This is where it's actually great for us. Mm. The fact that um, that we're all probably stumbling a little bit trying to predict who will win. 
because that means it's great for us. It's not clear cut. Of course. Uh, there's going to be an ebb and flow across the next six Grand Prix, and that's going to be incredibly interesting. Who do I think? We were talking earlier about that Lewis is still incredibly motivated. Mm. So are the entire Mercedes team. He has seen it, done it over and over again, and he's still able to keep delivering that. Um, does Max make mistakes? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It's If I was put up against the wall with a firing squad, <laughs> I'd probably just have to fall for Lewis on this, you know? Okay. Um, but it's that... It is that close. It really is. And that's why it's, it's been such a great question to ask because it it has got harder as the season's gone on because it, everyone was thinking Max was just this, the way he's always been, you know, probably. But he's coming to this year a lot more mature. Um, yeah. Well, the thing is, I've, I've got a personal interest in this with Lewis, actually, is because, you know, I don't know if you know, but between Lewis and me, we've currently won seven from the One World Championships. <laughs> um, you know, I've had it in my mind all year that we should be going for an eighth together. And uh, <laughs> if he can pull his weight, then I think we can do it. <laughs> so the money's going on Lewis Hamilton. Okay. Yeah, but 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 make it clear that... Marginal. Seriously, it's that marginal. It's an each-way bet. I, I, yeah, <laughs> I think this has been. I think this was said by Toto and a few others at the weekend. Is that we could really be seeing this go to Abu Dhabi? Mm. Let's hope so. Yeah, and the, the last the last three tracks of the season, you've got Qatar, Saudi Arabia, and Abu Dhabi's changed, so it's all up in the open. Speaking of tracks, so I come up to you, Perry, and I say, right, pick a track. It's not in the UK that you, for atmosphere, for racing, for everything, where would you send me? Got probably three events, or four events. Indy 500, mm. Le Mans 24 hours, um, Daytona 24 hours, right. Sebring 12 hours, and uh, Goodwood Revival. Oh, wow. That's a big list. Yeah. That's yeah, that would list. be, I think that would be, um, that'd be my lot, the, the, you know, you were saying about the atmosphere and stuff happening. Yep. I mean, you know, Le Mans 24 hours is just incredible. I mean, it's a it's a kind of endurance test for the cars, but also for the drivers, also for the teams. But it's incredible to see the Brits out there as well, because they arrive on Wednesday, 40,000 of them, and they start drinking heavily from that point. <laughs> and uh, to see them survive what they've drunk, because it's like, it's like the reverse of Darwin's theory of evolution. You know, when that you've got that, you've got that monkey. kind of diagram of the monkey going up through ape, going up through man. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's the reverse. You start off with Brits going down to monkey, going down to chimp, going down because at the end of Sunday they've drunk so much they don't know who they are, what they are, or even which, or even which species they are. Could you pick a, a Formula One track that you'd say that you've been to that you think that our fans would like? Spa. Got to be probably spa. everybody says that the pilgrimage spa. of spa yeah yeah spa's it's beautiful it's it's great you know you you come up over the rises you're into real high speed corners and you just have that moment sometimes to just look and think lucky boy mm. you know it's that great what did abby say when you when you zandvoort Zandvoort. yeah because she has actually she hasn't done she hasn't done many she hasn't done many you see so she said Zandvoort last week so uh it was one of the ones that she really uh really enjoyed yeah she probably chose that because it's near the beach <laughs> i think she said the, the the fans and the atmosphere was just immense you know on, on no, she's actually level. got a point yeah the dutch are lovely people you know it's it's, it's great 
Yeah. So, yeah, Zanvo, yeah, she's got a real point there, actually. Good. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I think we've exhausted that. Well, we've probably got a few more questions in there, but I mean, we've exhausted uh, the questions. I think you've covered everything basically without having to go over old ground. Um, so, thank God, because I want to go and get a glass of wine in a minute. <laughs> yeah, like, me too. So, that's all our questions, Perry. Thank you very much for joining us today. It's been really great talking to you. Yeah, no, I was going to say thanks for having me on, chaps. And uh, thanks also for mentioning to everybody who follows you guys about the launch of the audiobook. It's, um, hope they hopefully they're going to enjoy it. I hope they will. And as I say, we will pop that into the uh, any kind of um, descriptions in the podcast itself and on the posts that we do post uh, across all social medias as well. So thank you very much to Perry for coming to join us today to review the Turkish Grand Prix. Uh, and thank you very much for telling us all about your career. Coops, thanks. Great to meet you. You too, man. Thank, Thank you very much. We'll see you soon. Bye-bye, all right. bye-bye Perry. Cheers, guys. Right. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks. All that's left for me to say is thank you very much to Coops for joining me today from the Everything F1 team. Thanks very much, Coops. Thank you. This has been the Everything F1 podcast. We are available on all social medias, on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. We've got a Discord server. And, of course, you can find us on our website, www.everythingf1.com. All that's left for me today is thank you very much. We'll be with you next week to discuss the race in Texas at the Circuit of the Americas, USA. Bye-bye. We'll see you soon. Bye. Bye.